Take your Bibles and let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 this morning. A couple of weeks ago we began our study in the Gospel of John. Last week we began really looking into the text itself. And we talked about the first five verses. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, without the Word, without God, nothing came into existence that has come into existence. And then we see a part of His nature and a part of His creation activity is in Him was life. And that life was the light of men, and this light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Today we begin looking in verse 6, and we talk about a man sent from God. His name is John. We see him not being the light, but only bearing witness of the light. The true light is Jesus Christ, who has come into the world. So he says in verse 6, follow with me, let's read this next section that we study today. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness. To bear witness about the light, that through his testimony all might believe. He was not the light. He came to bear witness About the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Notice these next statements. He was in the world, which was made by him. Yet the world did not know him. Secondly, he came to his own people. That word, his own, really speaks of that, his own thing, his own nationality. Speaking about the Jewish people, he comes into the kingdom of Israel. He comes to his own people who have the word of God, who have read all of the prophecies concerning him. He comes to his own. And yet, as Keith read to us in John chapter 12, his own people did not receive him. But, to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, Not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Join me as we begin in a word of prayer. Father, it is true today as it was true in the day that John wrote these words, that there is always, always has been three possible responses to who you are. Lord, there are some people who are just uninformed. You've come into the world, and yet they do not know. 
There are some that you reveal yourself to, and yet they turn and reject you. There are some who hear the gospel, who hear your name, and they welcome you. Lord, may that be our hearts. Help us, Father, not to be like the innkeeper who said, no room, no room. Lord, may we welcome you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take your word, these words that you have given, that you would minister into our hearts today this truth for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's consider this text, a man sent from God, his name is John. As we begin, let's talk about birthdays. You know, in America, we celebrate, in the modern world, I I imagine not everywhere on the globe, but most places in the globe, people celebrate birthdays. It wasn't really so in the ancient world. Birthdays weren't necessarily remembered and made note of. Now, I am sure that Mary remembered that day. Right? Uh, All of you mothers remember that day. It's in your mind. It's indelibly imprinted when your children were born. Maybe some of you would like to forget that day. But, you know, it's indelibly imprinted on your mind. In fact, it even tells in Luke that Jesus kept all these things, or excuse me, that Mary kept all these things concerning the birth of Jesus, and she pondered them in her heart. So obviously people knew in the ancient world, people knew in the early days of the church and the days of the disciples and the apostles knew the day when Jesus was born, but birthdays weren't something to be remembered, they weren't something to be celebrated, and there were probably many reasons for that. One of the reasons for that in the ancient world was that childhood mortality was so high. Most children that were born into the world by a mother, the majority of them would die before they reached majority age. And so because of that, I think there was kind of an aversion. Uh, In fact, in some cultures in the ancient world, they didn't even name their child till later in life because of that very thing. Not in the Jewish culture, but in some cultures. And so because of infant mortality and other things, it just seems that People did not celebrate birthdays the way we now do. And we remember the birth of a child, we remember that day, and annually we celebrate it. Nevertheless, very early in church history, if you look back in church history, very early in the history of the church, Christians began to celebrate a day of Jesus' birth. Traditionally, it has been December the 25th, although not in every stream of Christendom. The Eastern Church does so on the 7th of January is when they celebrate. And it is based upon a very important fact from church tradition. This was something actually I had a conversation with uh, several years ago with another man in ministry in a different stream of Christendom than mine, And he informed me about something that I didn't know, and I did some more research on it this week and found that it definitely is the case. 
Um, I think most of us in American evangelicalism sometimes, because we're so averse to church traditions, and there is a reason for that, but because we are so averse from church traditions, sometimes we don't know the traditions that caused certain practices that have then become mainstreamed into church history. Here's the reason. Now, some of us have heard the pagan festival explanation for why we celebrate on December the 25th. This probably has very little to do in actuality with that pagan festival. You've probably heard of the pagan festival. It began on December the 17th. It was called Saturnalia. It was a seven-day feast that culminated on December the 25th with Sol Invictus. And Sol Invictus was the feast of the unconquered sun. And on the feast of the unconquered sun, all of the pagans would rejoice that, yes, the shortest day has come, it has now passed, and things are going to get better, and spring is going to come. It's called Sol Invictus. Now, we know reality in Star Valley, even though December 25th, things may be getting better, it's going to be a long time until they get really good, right? Until the weather gets good again. But it was the Feast of the Unconquered Sun. The thing to remember is, most pagan festivals were tied to the cycles of the seasons, like in Wiccan and other, and other pagan festivals. And so that's why you see that many times. Some people have hypothesized that this was why December the 25th was kind of taken over by the church. But actually, predating that is a different tradition on why the church celebrates on December the 25th. And it is a tradition concerning the day of Jesus' conception and his birth and his death. In early church tradition, there again, this is tradition. There's nothing biblical about this. I want to be very clear about it. We don't know that this is true, but this is why the date was established in the second century to be December the 25th. Early church tradition held that the day that Jesus was conceived was the very same day on which Jesus died. That was early church tradition. It was very easy to establish, based on the calendar and our knowledge of the calendar, the exact day that Jesus died. And that day would be March the 25th. Which, if you add nine months to March 25th, and you say Jesus was conceived on the day that Jesus died, if you add nine months to that, that would be, voila, what? December the 25th. That is actually the most ancient church tradition that establishes why the church began to celebrate Christmas on December the 25th. Um, and I think it's very well established in, in the ancient traditions of the church that that was the case. So, anyway, I just wanted to bring you up to speed on that. That's not really what we're talking about today. But if we think about a man who was sent from God, who is John, this man was sent to prepare the way. 
In fact, if you notice in chapter 1 and verse 19, we will get there later. It says, and this is the testimony of John. This is the witness of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed. He did not deny. He confessed, I am not the Messiah. They then said, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We got to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He quotes from Isaiah chapter 40. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. And so he is sent to prepare the way for the Lord's return. He is setting the stage. He is a witness. He is bearing witness of the true light. We see the birth narrative in Luke chapter 1. I took the time to read that story again about John's birth and Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah is, according to the order of the priesthood, offering in the temple. Gabriel appears to him. He says, how can this be that we will have a child? We are old. The angel says to him, you will not speak until these things are so. And he strikes him dumb. Child is born. You remember the child leaping in the womb of Elizabeth when Mary comes and stays with them. And all the things that surround the birth of this man sent from God who is John. Every gospel Every one of them records details about this ministry. This is a very important ministry. The ministry of John, a voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. There are two miraculous births that we see in the Gospels. Give me a second. I've got to get my pen working here. Yoo-hoo. Maybe it won't. Well, well, if I use my clicker, so I'm going to do that. Sorry about that. Okay, there are two miraculous births in the Gospels with the coming of the Messiah. The first one is a couple who desired to have a child all their married life. And yet they never get one until they're old. Kind of like an Abraham and Sarah kind of thing, isn't it? The story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. All their life, they long to have a child. God does not give them one. Who gives life? God. They do not have a child. Why? Because God in his sovereignty has a plan. And he does not give them one until they are old. In a miraculous way, she conceives a child. The child is born. The other child is we have a couple. There again, a couple. Joseph and Mary. But they are not yet married. They have not yet come together in any way with physical relationships. 
And yet she conceives in her womb by the Holy Spirit. So think of the bookends to this. You have one couple who's at the end of their life and they have a child. You have another couple who's at the beginning of their life who haven't even come together as husband and wife and God gives them a child. So we have two miraculous births associated here with the coming of the Messiah. It's important we note that. How both of these individuals, the man sent from God... And God becoming flesh, that both of those births are miraculous births. Now, I want to make, when we think about the first one, the man sent from God, even the second one, to a lesser degree today, I just want to speak out some counsel on a delicate subject here for a minute. And so, we're just going to take this, that miracle and that circumstance, especially related to the birth of John, and relate that to some applications, some counsel here for us. First one is this. Difficulty conceiving? Wait on God. Wait on God. God has a time. God has a plan. Difficulty conceiving, look to God, not just try to manipulate circumstances to get what you want when you want it. Difficulty conceiving, wait on God. Second one is this. I think this is an important one to think about because this was a very difficult time for Zechariah and for Elizabeth who have no children and they are old. And all their friends and relatives and neighbors are looking at them and saying, I wonder what sin is in their closet that God has not blessed them. And then you got Mary and Joseph. Oh, there's a whole lot more gossip going on around that life, right? What sin is in their closet? And I just want us to think about another thing here, counseling on some delicate subject. You know, don't judge, don't judge others on the size of their family, either large or small. We're not the judge, and we don't know what God is doing. Sometimes it's easy to look at other people and to make all kinds of false assumptions about whatever is going on in their life and to gossip and to nitpick and to say things that are wrong. We leave it with the Lord. Here's another one that I would just have us think about. When John is born on the day of his circumcision, which is the eighth day of his life, According to the covenant, after the circumcision, he is given a name. Elizabeth says, he shall be called John. And all the neighbors and relatives again are saying what? Where'd that name come from? There ain't nobody in your family that has that name. There ain't anybody that you know that has that name. What's wrong with you? And they turn to Zechariah. What will his name be? And what does Zechariah say? First words out of his mouth in a long time. His name is John. 
I just want to think about names. Parents, take seriously the responsibility of naming your child. You know, your kid has to wear that name, that label, for the rest of his life or her life. You know, don't make it a joke. You know, don't name him Del Monte because you think he's a bean. You know, whatever. Take seriously the responsibility. Seek God for a name that really corresponds with his or her calling in life. Whatever that may be, you don't know. But seek God. It is an important thing. A name is an important thing. And so look to the Lord. The important thing that I want us to think about here in all these issues when we think about counsel on a delicate subject is this. We are to look to God in all these issues. God is the author of life. He is the giver of life. He is the sustainer of life. He is the one who takes life. And we are to look to him in this regard. I want us to think about calling. We have a man who is sent. The word is apostello, from which we get the word apostle. He is sent. John, in a very unique way, is sent, isn't he? He has a unique ministry. But I would submit to you that every one of us who comes into this world is sent from God with a calling. John's calling is to bear witness of the light. I would suggest to you that is your calling, to bear witness to the light, to testify of him. As John says later in our study in John chapter 3, when people are saying, everybody is going to Jesus Everybody had been coming to see John, and John was baptizing them. And now all of his disciples are concerned, because now everybody is going to Jesus. Oh, John, what are you going to do? All of your followers have abandoned you. You know what John says? He must increase, I must decrease. He must increase, I must decrease. He is bearing witness to the light. But he understood that he was sent from God. He has a mission. He has a vocation. And I want to think about this for just a minute this morning. This is important. He is a career, or excuse me, think with me of career and occupation. Career and occupation. When I say career, you're sent from God, whoever you are who's here. God sent you to earth. He sent you with something to do. Is it just a career? Is it just an occupation? When we think in those terms, young people, especially I'm talking to you, when you look at your life and you're thinking about, what am I going to do? Don't just think about, what am I going to do? Think about, what does God want me to do? What is my calling? What is my calling? When we think about career and occupation, a lot of times we think about that. What do I want to do with my life? What do I like to do? How much money can I make? Where do I want to live? All those things factor big time in the way the world judges what we spend our life doing by way of occupation. I don't want us as Christians to think that way. A man named Martin Luther developed a doctrine 
for the church a vocation. Now, when I say vocation, not vacation, what does vocation mean? Think about just the word vocation. This comes from a Latin word, and it was a very important word to Martin Luther. The word vocation means to call. Think of voke. This is the Latin portion of this, vocal. A vocal is a spoken thing, isn't it? There's a calling. And so when we use the word vocation versus occupation, we're saying something very different. We're talking about a calling. Think with me of this. I read some stuff that Timothy Keller said on this. This is really good. I don't know if you can read it. Something can be a vocation or a calling, Keller argues, only if some other party calls you to do it. And you do it for their sake rather than for your own. This doesn't mean you'll dislike or resent the work. On the contrary, the work becomes more fulfilling precisely because you were called to it. Not as a form of works righteousness or as a means of proving your value, but as an act of love and trust to the one who created and redeemed you. Young people, even us as adults, this is what I want to think about. This would revolutionize what we're doing every day. If we realized I'm not doing it for money, I'm not doing it for my own pleasure, I am doing it because someone else called me to do this. Boy, ladies, when the kids are crying at 2 in the morning, that would make it a little bit easier. Maybe not a whole lot easier, but a little easier. My vocation is I'm a wife and a mother. God has called me to that. God placed a calling on my life. Or as all of us, you know, when we go and we're doing things on the job, I'm not just doing this to make my mark in the world. I am doing this. I'm teaching kids. I'm training them for the glory of God. That our life then is lived in pursuit of the glory of God in the vocation, the calling that he has placed on us. You know what this does? This was why this was so important to Martin Luther. It elevates every vocation. Because in the medieval church, it was like if you were in the priesthood, thumbs under your armpits, you were something good. And you were close to God. There was a special vocation. There was a special calling. And Martin Luther said, diddly squat on that. That is not true at all. No, God has a calling on every Christian. And when we find that, and we live that, that is where we find true joy and meaning, true purpose in life. So, Christian, what is your calling? What is your vocation? I did not ask you, how do you make a living? I did not ask you how much money you're making or any of those things. I'm asking you this. What calling has Almighty God placed on your life 
for his glory and do it for his glory. And if we would live that way, it would revolutionize the world in which we live. So, what is, let's go on. In spite of John's preparatory work, we see something in the text that we are studying. We see rejection by the masses. He comes to his own. His own loved him. Right? Well, as long as he was breaking bread and breaking fishes, as long as he was taking on the Romans or taking on the Pharisees, but when he started meddling in their heart with their sin, they turned the other way. Rejection by the masses in spite of John's preparatory work. It's important to note that. In spite of John being sent from God with a calling placed on his life, most people said, Jesus, thank you anyway. Just like we see in the world today. But there was a reception by the few. There are three types of responses to Jesus coming. Notice these three. First of all, there's the uninformed. There is the uninformed. He came into the cosmos. The cosmos was made by him, and yet they did not know him. There are people who are just uninformed. They haven't heard. Secondly, there are the obstinate. He comes to his own people, and what did his own people do? Well, thank you, Jesus. We'll just be religious. We'll just go to the temple. We'll do our things for God, but we really don't care about you. And they would not receive him. And then there is the person who is a welcoming host. This is the person in verse 11 who receives him and believes on him. Notice that. Let's look at the text. This is one of the most precious verses in all the Bible regarding your personal salvation. Notice what he says. Verse 12, I'm sorry. But to all who did receive him, what does it mean to receive him? It's in parentheses. Who believed in his name. What does it mean to receive him? To believe in his name. To everyone who does that, he does what? He gives the right become a child of God. He gives the right. He gives the authority. Let's break that verse down for a minute. First of all, when we think about the uninformed, remember what we studied in the book of Romans, how can they believe on him of whom they've never heard? How can they believe in such someone tells them? There are people in the world, my friend, who do not believe in Jesus because they are uninformed. He came into the world. The world was made by him. And yet most people in that 1040 window that we talk about maybe have heard his name, but they know nothing about why he came. They're uninformed. We see the rejector. You know, there's some people out there there are many people out there that no matter how kind you are to them, no matter how much you love them, how much you reach out to them, how much we as a church 
put out the carpet for them? No matter how persuasive our arguments are, there are some people who will not believe. It's important we know that. Jesus said, if they hated me, was Jesus kind? I would submit to you he was the most kind person that ever lived. Was Jesus loving? I would submit to you he was the most loving person who has ever lived. Did most people believe him? Most people what? Hated him. We need to know that as Christians. Does that mean we stop being loving? Not in the least. Does it mean we stop being kind? Not in the least. Does it mean we stop giving persuasive arguments for who he is? Not in the least. It's just important we realize that our ingenuity is not enough. There is something else in play here. Bigger than this. Here's the result. If we believe and receive, if we welcome him, we have authority to be a child of God. This speaks, that word authority, speaks about legal right. It is a legal right. We now have a legal standing as a child of God. We're not just living in with somebody else. It's not a foster parent relationship. It is an adoption. There is a legal right as a child of God. God bears this out in Romans chapter 8 when he says that we have received a spirit of adoption which causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. And so when we pray, we say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, what is the thing that distinguishes the welcomer from the rejecter? What's the distinguishing thing? Was it that someone was just more persuasive with me? Was it that more people were praying for my salvation? And that's what distinguished and allowed me to welcome him and not reject him? And you too? What makes the difference? Is it because you're so smart? Okay. Yeah, let's look at it. What is the thing that distinguishes the welcomer from the rejecter? It is called the new birth. The new birth. Now you say, well, what is that? We talk about being born again. Let's look at it for a minute. And this theme is going to be traced through the Gospel of John repeatedly. But we start here. And we do so for just five minutes this morning. But look at it. This is important. There are some who do not know who he is. Look in the text. That is verse 10. They have not believed in him because they do not know who he is. In verse 11, there are some that he comes to. (coughs) Excuse me. They are his own people and they do not receive him. There are some, notice this, 
And it's everyone who does receive him. There are some who receive him. They believe in his name, and he gives them legal authority as a child of God. Verse 13. Who were born. This birth was not of blood. It was not of the will of the flesh. It was not of the will of man. But it was a birth that was caused by who? God. Mary and Joseph have a child. They have nothing to do with it. Did they? Nothing. That child was born of who? God. No human agency. In a similar way, he is telling us here that the new birth that distinguishes the one who welcomes him from the one who rejects him is a birth that comes from God. The reason that they receive or believe is because they were born. There's a cause and effect here. The new birth causes them to believe. It is not the result. Their faith does not cause the new birth. Their faith results from the new birth. Please note that in the text. We will see this in many other places in the gospel. When we get to chapter 3, we're going to talk about the new birth, which is a birth of water and spirit, and it is one of wind. And he tells us there, the wind blows where it wills. Who is the one that is willing? The spirit. He is the one who is willing. It's not the will of man. It's not the will of the flesh. It is not the will of blood. It is the will of God. He is the mover. Now, that is very similar to my first birth. I had nothing to do with my first birth. I just showed up. Right? So did Ryder this week. He had nothing to do with it. He just showed up. He didn't choose who he would be born to, when he would be born, where he would be born, what he would look like, what ethnicity, his gender. He chose none of it. He just showed up. It was all chosen for him. There are three phrases that are meant to emphasize the total absence of human effort or agency in regard to the new birth. He says here, it is not of blood, it is not of the flesh's will, it is not of man's will. Now, we can debate the exact meaning of each of those phrases. What does it mean, the will of blood? Or the, uh, it's not of blood. What does that mean? Well, maybe it means it's not of natural generation. It might mean it's not handed down through families. So it's not like God has any grandkids. Just because mom and dad were Christian doesn't mean kids that you automatically are in. It could mean that. 
What does the will of flesh, will of man mean? We could argue the exact meaning of each of those phrases, but you can look at those phrases. It's very clear that by reinforcing that thought, he is saying man cannot orchestrate, man cannot create his own birth. It comes from who? God. It comes from God. Look with me at this verse. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about my sheep hear my voice. I am the good shepherd. He says, the works that I do in my Father's name, they testify, testify about me. Now, I want you to notice this phrase, because this is going to make a lot of us cringe. You don't believe. Why? Because you are not my sheep. He is saying to people of his day, now he's also just before this said, I have other sheep in another fold, and they're going to believe. He's talking about the Gentiles. Us. But he says to them, you don't believe. Why don't you believe? My own people, why don't you believe in me? Well, you know why you don't? Because you're not my sheep. But then he says, what are his sheep? My sheep hear my voice. And he says in that chapter, I call them by name. We have three sheep now. We used to have a bunch. We kept three. I don't know why we kept three, but they're wonderful critters to have them around. One of them's named Bo. One of them's named Peep. And one's named Hoot. We had an Annie, too. We had a Hoot and an Annie. But Annie decided to go somewhere else for eternity. So we have Bo and Peep and Hoot. When I go out in the morning, a lot of times I say, Hey, Bo, how are you doing? Hi, Peep. Every one of them will perk up and talk to me and communicate with me as I speak to them. They know their name. It goes back to given names, but where names come from. My sheep hear my voice. And what happens? I know them. So then they know him because he knows them. I know them. And what do they do? What do the sheep do? They follow. They follow. And I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. Ever. And no one can take them out of my hand. So when we think about this text, there's something I want us to note today. If you hear his voice. In the words of scripture, if you hear him call your name, follow. Follow. Believe. Receive. Respond. That is what God causes us to do. A lot of things we'll talk about with the new birth and regeneration as we go through this, but the mystery of it is amazing. But what it is, it is so humbling to us to realize that we cannot in any way achieve, deserve, merit, will our own salvation. It comes from him. So today, if you hear his voice, believe. Father, we thank you for your word.
And we thank you for the truth, the truth that sets us free. I pray, Holy Spirit, that the wind would blow as you will. We give it to you, Lord, in Jesus' name.